back to the Clips Nation podcast, where the Clippers season will live for at least four more games. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, joined by Blake Harris, as we talk about that game seven against Dallas and what is to come. Blake, how are you feeling? I need to change my uh, Twitter name to Blake 6% Harris. <laughs> I, I need to be living by uh, the 6% because uh, we talked about, I think you titled the last podcast we did, the 6%. There was a 6% chance that I'd be happy a week later and the 6% came true. So uh, I'll be Blake 6% Harris, uh, at least until the next round. So just to, you know, wrap a little bow on that. um, After the Clippers last their first two games of the series, uh, a team has only come back to win in that situation 6% of the time. Like whether those two games are at home or on the road, 6% of the time. And the fact that it was at home made the Clippers chances, I guess, a little bit more manageable because in the one sense, they are the favorite. But on the other hand, seemingly more ridiculous because they had just lost two home games and you know they, they even the series in Dallas you're starting to feel good again about the Clippers chances because it seems like they'd figured things out by the end of game four and then game five which is you know this pivotal swing point where I think 78 percent of the time the winner of game five goes on to win the series when it's tied 2-2 and the Clippers blow that one at home and it seems like Dallas is once again you know taking the lead uh in terms of like just their adjustments and things like that And then we get to game six and Kawhi Leonard just, there are no words to say what Kawhi Leonard did in that game. I mean, I, I tried to write it out, you know, on clipsnation.com, just, he was, he was a bad man. Like that's what you tweeted. That's what he was. I mean, uh, one of the greatest individual game performances I've ever seen slightly muted because, you know, it did happen in a first round series, but uh, again, not, not enough to say about what Kawhi did in that game. And then we come back to game seven and the Clippers had been in the situation where down three, two, there's like a 15% chance of them coming back. And then they, you know, have to host a game seven, which you would think would be an advantage because 80% of the time that works out right. in the home team's favor. But in this series where not a single home team had won for the first six games, you were not sure if that meant anything. Uh, they wore road jerseys if that made it any better, you know, those black city uniforms and lo and behold, the Clippers got it done. Uh, I, that's just like a lot of numbers just cause like there was a lot to process over those seven games. And since you and I haven't talked for the last five of them, I mean, what stood out to you most from this first round win? It's ironic. I was thinking about this too. The, uh, what 15% when you go down three, two, whereas mm-hmm. like the Clippers of all teams, what was it now? Six years ago when they were playing the Spurs in the first round and they went down three, two, and then they did the same thing where they went on the road, somehow won in San Antonio. And Blake then, was so good in that game. Oh, I, that was Goodness like gracious, vintage. Yeah. And then game seven, the, you know, all time thriller game seven, that should have been like game seven of like the Western conference finals with how good those two teams were. So the Clippers, in most Clipper fashion have somehow done this twice in the last like six, seven years. But yeah, the, the fact that they did this, they pulled through, they came back. I one one hand I'm like shocked. The other, I'm not just because I, although I had a feeling like, wow, there's a chance they can get swept. I said this on the last podcast where the only reason I had some sort of optimism was because entering game three, the Clippers easily could have been up in the series 2-0. They just, you know, la- late in the game, they had a chance and they just, Things didn't go their way. And plus Dallas was shooting at a historic rate from three. And I said, hopefully at some point that's going to come down. Eventually it did, especially in game seven. I mean, they pretty much traded games, you know, like one through three and kind of four, five and six for, I don't don't know what they finished at, but it was something like eight for 33 or it was 
it was something really bad. So uh, shocked, uh, surprised, too many words to describe it, but they somehow pulled through. They somehow, you know, came back and just what a weird, awesome, stupid, incredible series that was, like you said, home road team won the first six, never been done before. As I was saying, there was no chance it could have been for a seventh or else that just would have been a weird series. But uh, the Clippers and Mavericks, I mean, they've delivered two really exciting, really competitive first round matchups the last, you know, two years where, again, it's it's been fun. It's been exciting. Um, I didn't think the series would go seven. I was you know, expecting the Clippers to get the job done a lot sooner. But then again, like I said, they could have won those first two games. And, you know, even the game they lost, you know, at Staples Center for game five, they had that game. Potentially they could have won, whereas in Dallas, they kind of dominated for the most part games three and four. Game six was a thrilling, uh, you know, come from behind one kind of type deal. But uh, just what a series. Uh, my heart rate is... Finally, at a, at a nice, calm pace after it's been you know, the last few games. But uh, looking forward to Utah. Uh, as we just said that before we started, I wish there was a no, another day or two for me to enjoy it because uh, after a series like that, you want to spend a few days to really just you know take it all in. But no, you get about a day to relax and cool off. And then tomorrow we have a brand new seven-game series uh, against Utah, which is going to be a completely different animal than what the, uh, the, what the Mavericks were. The Mavericks series had a much better player, but uh, the Utah series has a whole lot of better overall players than uh, than what the Mavericks had. Yeah, you know, up until you mentioned it, I'd, I'd almost forgotten like what happened with the Clippers in game five where, you know, Terrence Mann gets the ball on the fast break and seemingly has a layup and then passes it up. And it's it's much easier uh, to relive now because obviously yes. it did not end in heartbreak for the Clippers. Yeah. And, you know, Kawhi was asked about this yesterday where did you guys like have to tell Terrence anything like when he was down after that? And Kawhi's like, no, I don't think he seemed down like, you know, just next play, everybody makes mistakes. You just go on to the next one. And right. I, I think that's a Kawhi was being full of it because Terrence's mom actually <laughs> tweeted about how like, you know, the best revenge is like just getting back up and doing it again. Uh, I'll, I'll find the exact tweet later, but it was very cool for Terrence man to have this arc, you know, over the course of the series where he doesn't play in game one, he only gets brought in in game two as like that super sub in the fourth quarter. You and I talked about how we thought, this was a series that demanded more of him and we ended up being correct about one thing, you know, regarding this first round matchup (laughs) and the performance that he put on game seven was just wonderful. Like I know I highlighted Luke Kennard over on the website just because that one seemed more out of left field to me than Terrence performing because Terrence has been good all season. He's been really good all season. And I was expecting him to have this moment where he just, you know, looks defenders in the eye and slashes jumpers in their face and puts a lot of pressure on the rim and just is a menace everywhere on defense and gets out in transition. Like all of the things that we love about Terrence Mann were on display in that seventh game. I mean, even that one play at the end of the first half, which cracked me up where he kind of bricks a corner three pointer and Kawhi gets the rebound, puts it back in and then points at Terrence and says, good pass. Right. Um, <laughs> Kawhi is a fun guy, but yes, he is. <laughs> I, I loved seeing Terrence at his best. I'm so glad that he got that, you know, not like vengeance. Cause it's not like it was against anybody but himself, but like that, that I can't even think of the word right now. This is terrible podcast audio, but like just the ability <laughs> to come back from a difficult right. situation and be able to make an impact. So happy for him. So happy for Luke. Uh, I have no idea what the rotation is going to look like against Utah. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but what's interesting is just this series did not go as all like at all, as I had envisioned in terms of like, I thought the Dallas forced the Clippers to play bigger 
I thought the zoo watch would have more of a role. Um, yeah. I thought Beverly would be important after, you know, they all bemoaned him not being available for last year's series against Dallas. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Luca was this good. Obviously that was incorrect. He's just phenomenal. He does yeah. everything. I mean, he even got like Kawhi to say, Oh man, when asked about him, you know, like there was genuine emotion when trying to process what Luka Doncic has meant. Uh, but yeah, just a tremendously fun series. Like I know I, I tweeted this during the series, like how much fun I'm having just watching the basketball, like two high level coaches, two apex superstars, all of these adjustments, you know, you see these role players having intermittent, you know, flare ups. It's just, I had such a good time watching this basketball, like you said, for two straight years now, I really hope that we get this series at some point, like a little bit later in the postseason where it's not like I feel like the Clippers accomplished something major by beating Dallas but at the same time all they've done is gotten to the second round so there's like conflicting emotions right yeah it it was like the whole thing even with you know years ago when they beat the Spurs it's like wow we just took out the reigning champs Mm -hmm. and now you just have to go in the second round where it's like wow we just had this thrilling you know intense matchup with Dallas and now you got to face, you know, the best team in the NBA this past season. But I agree. I mean, I, I'd like to see like a Western Conference or just even a second round matchup between the Clippers and Dallas because it, although they played in back-to-back years, it just doesn't have like that rivalry feel yet. Whereas like those Clippers-Grizzlies matchups, even though those were taking place in the first round, that just felt like it became a rivalry, especially that first year when that, that series went seven. Whereas this one, like, again, I think Luke even said like in the post game, he like mentioned the word rivalry and I was like, I don't, I just don't know if like, it just doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel like there's like bad blood between the teams. It just feels like they just happened to match up in the previous two years. So yeah, I would like to see that. I feel bad for Luca and I'm actually glad he said this, uh, how pretty much everyone's saying like, oh, he's already one of like the best postseason performers we've seen in some time. And he's like, I literally like haven't accomplished anything. So I like, which I was like, like good for you because you know, the way he is on, it just, it makes it tough because like he's such a mature player for being what 22 years old like he mm-hmm. says the right things but then on the court he's just you know like a senior high school his dad's the coach of the team type player where he's really annoying but he's such a smart like and respectable player so i i did like that he said that because you know like the numbers are great and all but he's you know over two in playoff series so far but the fact that he's only going to be getting better, he's only 22. Like if Dallas can literally just somehow put together a slightly better team, I mean, this is going to be a team where they're going to be scary. You don't need to have like six or seven or eight guys deep like Utah's got. Just get him like three or four really solid pieces and have him do the rest because uh, if he's going to be averaging, you know, at 35, 12 assists, something like that, uh, like the, he almost single-handedly took out the Clippers, you know, who is a championship caliber team. And he almost did that, you know, by himself for the most part. I mean, what was it in, what was it a few games ago? He like scored or assisted on like all but eight. 31 out of 37. Yeah. Yeah. Then I don't know. I don't know what yesterday's number was, but considering he had like, I think nearly 40 and 14 assists it had to have been close. So yeah, he, he's going to be a problem for years to come. So hopefully the Clippers can avoid him at all costs until, you know, like the Western Conference Finals, if needed. Or if he just wants to go play in the East and they don't have to worry about that at any point in the coming Yeah, and year. I thought the Clippers were defending him well. And then you just look at his style on it. It's, oh, this is a transcendent superstar who's just going to get his stuff no matter what. Yeah, um, I did feel badly when he said that he hadn't accomplished anything because, like, the poor guy has had 13 playoff games and they've all come with Kawhi Leonard as his primary defender. Right. And, like, meanwhile, you know, we're re-letter relitigating the Luca Trey Young trade and Trey Young has won a playoff series. We're like, yeah, put Luca in the Eastern Conference. That guy's gonna win a playoff series. Like you put him against the Knicks, I have no doubt that Dallas right. is getting to the second round. Easily. So it's a little, it's a little unfortunate for his case that, you know, um, 
his monumental playoff exploits have gone unrewarded thus far because again, he's just going up against a really damn good team. And for as good of a player he is, the Mavericks just only do so much. You can only do the Clippers, right? Like yeah. he would need to score 60 and have 20 assists for them to like win the series at this rate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, I thought it was really interesting that um, it seemed like the Clippers were going to be shrinking the rotation as the series went along. And then somehow at the end it expanded even more, you know, to include yeah. Terrence and Luke. And it's, it's pretty cool because we've been talking all year about how this is a very deep Clippers team. And it took some time for us to figure that out, obviously, because it, at the start of the season, it seemed like, oh, are they really going to be relying on like Patrick Patterson and Fiondu and like all yeah. Amir Coffee <laughs> and these guys to like produce? And as it turns out, like there was meaningful depth beyond their uh, rotation guys. And that came to play in this playoff series in Dallas, you know, when they went to their bench, they didn't have anything, right? Like they went to Trey Burke and Luke Kennard ate his cookies. Like it was just, it was really bad whenever Dallas tried to expand their rotation and it just got easier and easier for the Clippers to stretch out what Dallas was trying to do because they had more good players. And like you said, Utah is an entirely different challenge. So yes. let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the Jazz. All right. So the Clippers are set to face the Utah Jazz tomorrow on Tuesday for game one in Salt Lake City. Just a quick refresher of Clippers Jazz playoff history. They met for the first time in 1992. Clippers lost to Utah in a five-game series in the first round, which was the maximum length. Uh, they met again in 1997. Clippers were swept by the Jazz this time in the first round. And then they met again in 2017, which is a series that we're probably all a little bit more familiar with, when uh, I believe Rudy Gobert got hurt and Blake Griffin got hurt, and Joe Johnson did the dirty work yes. for the Utah Jazz as they beat the Clippers in seven in the first round. So three matchups, two of them went the distance, all of them in the first round. So this is the first time that these two teams will be meeting with a Western Conference Finals berth on the line. What's one thing you're looking for in this series, Blake? Well, hopefully not a repeat of any of those series because <laughs> uh, history doesn't favor the Clippers. Also, yeah, the fact, I, I just remember that one I because the Clippers, I believe, lost game seven at home that series. But yeah, I think that's when Joe Johnson, I think it was game one, hit that game winner. And then he just went like into full, just vintage Joe Johnson that entire series and that was awful so mm -hmm. i'm just looking forward to seeing just how the clippers can bounce back from you know a series like this because the jazz they've been waiting for some time the grizzlies gave them a much tougher test than i thought like i thought that would be a quick four game sweep but uh the grizzlies they, they won a game and they played them kind of close for the most part utah just kind of pulled away at the end so but they've been waiting and uh, i'm just excited i i know for the most part the jazz kind of had the slight edge during the regular season against the Clippers, but uh, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited to see how the Clippers fare. Can they ride the momentum? Um, can they win games at Staples center that, you know, <laughs> that they win for the most part, but it, it's going to be a, a fun, a fun series because there are a lot of talented players on, on this Utah team. Again, Dallas, they, they had some good players, but like Utah, I mean, they're probably, you, you can make the case deeper than the Clippers, uh, I mean, either way, it depends on, you know, what you value more, but there are some solid, solid players on this jazz team. And if one guy's, you know, not having a good game, so many others can, you know, step up and easily drop 20. I mean, USA has like six or seven guys where I wouldn't be shocked if any point in the series, they scored more than 20 points. So again, I'm just excited to see how the Clippers can, you know, bounce back from that, that, you know, 
long series with on what a day and a half, two days, two days rest. You got to go to Utah now. And again, just seeing, you know, how, how the stars come up. I mean, Kawhi was great. Paul George for, for some reason, which I kind of hate a lot of people just like look at points and field goal percentage and base your series off that we look at Paul George. And I think the most he scored was maybe like in the high twenties field goal shooting wise, wasn't the best, but like watch, especially yesterday for game seven, he was impacting the game in so many ways. So I'm excited to see how Paul George and, uh, and Kawhi look this series, because again, for the most part, I, I think that series, I mean, it's only been what three series that we've had for them so far, but I think this, previous series was the best that that duo has performed so far together with the Clippers. Yeah. A lot of things that I want to jump out from that. Um, you were absolutely right about Paul George. He was between 20 and 29, all seven yeah. games. So <laughs> remarkable level of consistency there. I thought he was really good as a ball handler. You know, he had 10 assists in that final game, really good on the glass. Cause the Clippers were playing so small, you know, he had multiple, I think three double digit rebounding efforts. Yeah. You know, like you said, it's very easy to just look at the points and, kind of forget everything else that PG is doing, but I, I thought he was great, you know, really good series for him. Obviously like he was the third best player on the court during that series. So it's, it's just, you're going to get overshadowed because you've got these historically great guys and Kawhi and Luca going at one another and PG just being at an all-star level is supremely important. Obviously, like I'm sure Dallas would have loved to have another all-star player on their team, but you know, it just gets a little overshadowed among the Titans that he was on the court with. Yeah. I do think that this is a series where the Clippers will have the best player on the floor. Um, I thought that coming into this series, obviously, and it was not the case with Luca. I don't think Donovan Mitchell has the um, creation ability to affect the game in the same way that Luca does. Yeah. He just doesn't see the floor the same way. He's not going to be able to create opportunities for his teammates the way Luca does. Like when you think you have him guarded correctly, he's not going to whip out just some skip pass that you didn't see coming. Like there are more conventional ways that you can use to guard Donovan Mitchell and that's not to say that he's not an outstanding player. He's obviously very good at getting into the paint. He's quicker than Luca, I would say. Um, I mean, I just as an aside, I'm not sure like what broadcast you were watching yesterday, but when um, Jeff Van Gundy said about Luca, like, don't underestimate his whiteness for his quickness. Yeah. Like, that, like was, that. <laughs> that is not why Donovan Mitchell is quicker than Luca, by the way. He's just an outstanding right. athlete. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone uh, can agree that Luca is not the most athletically gifted player <laughs> in the NBA. But he is quicker than you would anticipate. I would yeah. definitely agree with that. So yeah, you know, Donovan Mitchell has that ability to get into the paint. He is very shifty. He's got supreme confidence in his outside jumper. I just don't think that he's going to approach near the heights that Luca did in that past series. And so it provides a different defensive challenge for the Clippers because, you know, you don't have to sell out on one guy to stop him, which it could be argued that they didn't do that on Luca, although <laughs> they were tempted to on many occasions. Yeah, uh, There's just a lot of other real estate you have to cover on the court because if Donovan gets by you, then all of a sudden you're worried about that lob to Rudy, or you're worried about that kick out to Boyan Bogdanovich, who's one of the best shooters in the league. Or then it swings over to Mike Conley, another one of the best shooters in the league, who also has been a Clipper killer in postseasons past. Mm -hmm. Another guy whose ability to get into the paint, penetrate, get the Clippers in rotation is somebody you have to worry about. Then you got off the bench, like that microwave guy in Jordan Clarkson. You got Joe Ingles, who loves... Oh, loves playing the Clippers. I, I will put this now. He's going to have at least two games where he scores at least like 17 18 points and mm -hmm. like is like four for five from three like yeah that is a guarantee <laughs> even though doc's not there anymore he still holds that grudge where i who who was it like cunningham jerry the, cunningham uh, i believe pride of oregon state doc no conference of champions blake harris <laughs> no oh yeah no that, that lives with me that lives with joe ingles every day and he still remembers it in the back of his mind 
So it's, it's just a very different defensive challenge that the Clippers are going to have to deal with in this series where, um, you know, even Gobert, let's just start with him yeah. is not really a post-up threat, right? Like KP wasn't either. He was yeah. basically a spot-up shooter for most of that series. Boban did do some posting up, but I think Dallas was happier when he was not, when he was just immediately at the basket and, you know, dunking or laying it in right just when Luca passed from the ball, ball. Just in there. <laughs> yeah. Both of them, despite being taller than Rudy, are not the vertical threats that Gobert is. Gobert will yeah. get up and dunk on you in a way that Boban and Porzingis just don't, right? He is a lob threat in the truest sense of the word. I do wonder if that inspires the Clippers to start big and bring Zubac back into the starting lineup, or if they're comfortable in their small lineup, just fronting him and making Gobert have to guard one of their smalls. That to me is like the biggest question to start the series. Do you think that the Clippers are more concerned with Donovan or Rudy? I mean, I, I'd say Rudy. I mean, I, I think, I mean, he's going to be what pr- probably the defensive player of the year again. I mean, just on defense, he's an absolute threat. Again, Donovan Mitchell, like he's, you know, he's a really talented player. But, I mean, you can make the case as well, how, you know, how the last series that the Clippers didn't have, you know, the best player on the court. You mm-hmm. can make the case, depending on what Paul George we get, that the Clippers could potentially have the two best players on the court, you know, again, depending- true. How, how Mitchell performs. So I'm personally a lot more concerned with Rudy Gobert. I mean, that dude is just defensively probably one of the best we've seen over the last decade, at least. And just, it'll be interesting to see how Ty Lue handles this. I thought the adjustments he made in that Dallas series, well, granted when you're coming from what doc was doing and just when you were begging for him <laughs> to make any sort of adjustment and just I'll, Ty Lue just needed to do one or two and you'd be like, wow, this is fantastic. But I thought overall, like he did a really good job. So it's going to be interesting to see how he approaches this, which is why I'm really interested to see just how game one looks like what, what lineups he's throwing out there, what the game plan is for the Clippers um, and how he's going to go from there. But yeah, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he'll probably get his 25 to 30. He might not like, I wouldn't be shocked if there are games where he goes ice cold, but I'm not like scared. Like I was for Luca where I'm thinking this guy's going to go for 40 and whatnot. And like you said, he's not like the playmaker that Luca is. So uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about that. It's just, you know, the defensive presence of Rudy Gobert. And like you said, as well, comparing him to like, you know, Boban and Kristaps, he's not, you know, as doesn't have the size as them, but uh, I, he worries me more on offense than again, than like Boban or Kristaps would when, when they get the ball. So uh, figure Rudy out. Good luck with that. Uh, it's a daunting task, but uh, like I said, uh, everyone else that, that's second year to uh, the problems that Rudy can potentially face. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I'm, I'm very interested about the Rudy defensive matchup because he is so good at protecting the paint. Like guys yeah. don't want to get into the paint when they do. He's just excellent at altering and deflecting shots, but that's an interesting test case for the Clippers who kind of don't like getting into the paint, right? Like they do that when their jump shots are not working, but they're an excellent jump shooting team. And maybe that diminishes some of Rudy's defensive impact because do you want him out on the perimeter guarding Marcus Morris? Is that where he's most effective? Uh, Or do you just keep him in there and like challenge the Clippers to beat you with jump shots? I don't know. But during the regular season, Rudy was not much of a scoring threat. And like, I, I hesitate to use the regular season matchups as too much of a gauge because the first one was played like on January 1st when Marcus Morris wasn't even healthy yet. Obviously this is like pre-trade deadline. Um, Nick Batum is still starting. Serge Baca was starting in that game. Who knows if he's going to even be healthy for this series. Yeah. The second game they play, the Clippers have like what we affectionately call a canoes lineup, right? Where like everybody is out and you've got um, 
you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, uh, Patrick Beverly were all unavailable for this game. So like, yes, they, they played the Utah jazz, but like, does it really mean anything? <laughs> uh, so the, the last regular season game is kind of the one that I'm looking at in terms of any sort of predictive value. And in that one, um, you know, the Clippers just went small at the end of the game and Rudy was nominally guarding Patrick Beverly, but he stayed in the paint and forced Pat to make threes and Pat made threes. And even if that's not Pat, if that's Terrence Mann in that position, if that's Luke Kennard in that position, I trust those guys to make threes. So I wonder like, is Rudy's defense really going to be that impactful on the Clippers? That's that to me is like the most interesting question going forward. Like what he can give on both ends is so interesting because like you look at the Clippers and it seems like their Achilles heel is a really strong big man who can dominate the paint, right? Like the Nikola Jokic or even Anthony Davis was pretty good last year. Uh, Rudy's not that guy, right? He's not an imposing offensive threat, but he is huge and he demands to be covered like a big guy. So I, I just don't know like that. That to me is like sort of like the pivot point of this series. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to say about how it'll be interesting to see how the Clippers, cause I mean, how much they'll be attacking the paint. They could have scored it well in the paint against Dallas. And yeah. just for whatever reason, they just chose not to do it as much as they could have. So I get a different series. So, but if I'm basing off that, maybe they won't be, especially now that Gobert is there. So we'll see. But I mean, it's been a weird series just to even begin with going back to that one. So I'm not certain. I mean, as long as the Clippers, like you said, Pat Bev hit his threes in that one game. If the Clippers can just shoot, they don't have to be shooting their, what, 41 or 42% that they shot in the regular season that was like top five all time. But those first few games that they were, you know, losing those games, they were shooting like less than 30%. They couldn't hit anything. And they can consistently get 35 to 40%, you know, from deep. I think they're going to be fine, especially if we can get like Luke Kennard heating up because, I mean, he sat through the first like five games until he saw action, I think, in game six. And, you know, he had a few that were on the verge of going in. And then yesterday we saw what he can do when given a chance. And when Luke Kennard's confident, because we saw that times during the regular season where for whatever reason, even though he's shooting like 45 percent, his confidence just doesn't seem as high as it should. So if he can shoot with confidence, I mean, I think he could be the potential like X factor in the series. Again, different team, different series. So who knows where he'll fit in, especially like we said, if Serge comes back, I don't know if that there's any timeline on him, if he's just like, questionable doubtful just every day moving forward so Mm -hmm. uh a lot of interesting storylines to potentially follow with this yeah it's the surge thing i mean who knows i i feel like he'd be a really good fit in this series because he seems like a very switchable defender against utah and that to me seems like the way that you want to defend their offense because otherwise they're going to get threes like good threes on every single possession but the Clippers are capable of switching defense. And I think that they can, you know, make those threes contested, especially because there's not that singular offensive hub like Luca who demands extra attention. Like they can single cover yeah. Donovan Mitchell with Paul or Kawhi or even Marcus or Nick. And unless just... it's Reggie Jackson, you know, he's going to be <laughs> running all over the place. The Reggie Jackson, Mike Conley experience will be something. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely tap into that later, but. Yeah, I I just have a lot of confidence in the Clippers' ability to defend Utah. But then again, like, I felt the same way going into the Dallas series. And Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. You know, um, Utah is a very well-structured offensive system. They create tons of good shots. Like you said, they were the best regular season team, not by accident. 
they had the best point differential too. So it's not like they were just, you know, padding up a bunch of clutch wins. This is a team that has been together for a very long time. They know how to play with one another. Basically the only new ingredient this year was, was there even a new ingredient this year, right? Like Jordan Clarkson was on the team last year. Right. Bogdanovich joined last year too. So did Conley. So I'm not going to say that like I'm picking the Clippers like in a landslide in this one, but I, I have a hard time seeing Utah scoring effectively enough to beat the Clippers. Whereas like the Clippers, I think will be able to get enough open shots, especially if Utah plays like a drop defense with Rudy Gobert manning the paint. I just don't see Utah being able to find enough good looks against the Clippers wing defenders because the Clippers are just bigger than them at the wing positions. They've got, you know, Conley is little and Donovan Mitchell is not like a big two guard and Royce O'Neal is probably too small to card Kawhi Leonard. So Uh, I just think that the Clippers' size and length on the perimeter is going to overwhelm them a little bit, and I don't know if they're going to be able to score well enough. I really think this is a better matchup for them than Dallas was, and I mean, am I going to pick the Clippers to advance to the conference finals for the first time in franchise history? Uh, I think so. I think that's what I'm picking. The but... odds are in the favor of you. <laughs> like, it's just like what I said about Game 7. Like The odds say yes, they're due, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I were to make a prediction, I would say Clippers in six. Uh, just because, you know, when you're picking the road team, you pick mid six. But I I think this could be like a pretty comfortable series for the Clippers. Feel free to clip this audio and make fun of me later on Twitter. But right. I feel Easy good about this matchup. I feel good about it. Yeah, no, I, I can agree with you on that where it's like Utah is the better team. But like with how good Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are and players like that, like it's, a, I think, a significant drop off going from a player like Luka to you know this kind of thing so i i don't think your you know clips in six take is outlandish i mean the thing that really kind of boosts my confidence and they can back your statement on that the clippers again i I said this earlier and i'll say it again where they could have won games one and two you know at staples center that that could have been easy right there Mm -hmm. they went in and won three games in a what is eighteen thousand packed you know arena in dallas that i didn't think they'd be able to win any let alone just one you know one or two mm-hmm. and they won three and it's going to be tough it's going to be rocking in utah but i i think the clippers can go in i think they can win games in utah and i think that things are going to get back to normal where the clippers can win games at home where they were so good during the regular season i mean i think they had like one of their better home finishes like in, in quite some time so if the clippers can just win their games at staples center which they definitely i think can um, I, I, I agree. I think it can be a, a six game type series, just win the games in Utah. But I do agree as well, where, you know, Utah is the much better team. They have much better players, but I do think this matchup actually kind of more so does favor the Clippers than, you know, the previous Dallas one as well, where it, it, it seems weird going from, you know, the fifth seed to playing the best team in the NBA, but right. with how they match up and with how things are, and it, it, it could actually benefit the Clippers. It could be, you know, better for them facing a much better team. And, you know, I think Utah, I think they were the only team that was like top four in offense and defense in the NBA this season, but yeah, it somehow kind of benefits and helps the Clippers out. Go figure. Yeah, I just think the lack of that one superstar talent makes this job easier. Like during the regular season, you obviously want to have depth and you want to have a more complete roster in order to win mm-hmm. 72 or 82 games, you know, whatever the length of the season is. But in the playoffs, like when you can put the ball in one guy's hands 80% yeah. of the time or the way Dallas does it like 98% of the time, <laughs> uh, I do think that it benefits you to just have the best player. And 
that is an advantage I think the Clippers are going to have in this series, especially the way Kawhi was going at the end of this. I mean, not even at the end, like just throughout the series. He was wonderful against Dallas. Truly, Mm -hmm. truly wonderful. And like I said, they potentially can have the first and the second best, just depending on, I mean, even if we get this Paul George again, averaging Mm -hmm. 23 points, I don't know, eight, nine assists, whatever his average was. I mean, even then it's, it's, it's a huge bonus where, you know, again, going back to last year, the Clippers in their two series, they didn't have the best player in any one of those series. Luca was the better player in round one. Jokic was the better player in round two, where again, this series, anything can happen. Mitchell very well can average 38 points a game in the series. But like, as of right now, it should be the Clippers with the edge having the better player. Like I said, potentially two. Yeah. And Mitchell has been good against the Clippers. I mean, I think about two, last year you know during the regular season when I was more worried about the Jazz than the Nuggets in that second round matchup because Donovan had been averaging like 30 plus against the Clippers I remember asking Doc about it and I was like why why is Donovan so comfortable in you guys and he was just like you know I wish I could tell you <laughs> Doc fashion uh, yeah so I, I think it'll be fun you know I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the home court advantage I that's a really good point Utah has got a little bit of altitude as well they've got a fan base that has been waiting since 1998 for a trip to the finals has never won an NBA championship. None of the teams remaining in the West bracket have ever won an NBA championship. So that's, that's nuts. pretty cool to think about the type of history that will be made in this year's postseason. You know, and the Clippers won't get until full capacity until the earliest game six, because yeah. California doesn't open up until June 15th games three and four are on the 12th and the 14th. Mm-hmm. So it might be a little bit of home court disadvantage again, like we saw in the last series uh, in Utah like, they can get me in there too. Yeah. So uh, that is a, that is a tough place to win. I know Memphis did it in game one, did not go as well in games two and five. Uh, do you think that it benefits the Clippers to be coming off of this, you know, hard fought series going through seven, they're pretty much right in rhythm or like, where do you fall in on this rest versus rust factor I, thing for game I, one? I've always thought like, regardless of like the sport, I think it benefits you if you like recently just played mm-hmm. where, the Clippers just played yesterday. They're going to play tomorrow. I think that benefits the Clippers where they're still going these slow momentum. This is just kind of like still like the same series where they were doing like every other day. This is kind of like another one where Utah, they haven't played. I was looking at this since it's been like almost a week, I think. So they've been kind of sitting at home. I know a lot of people say, you know, it's good to get rest. It's good, but this can be kind of thing where the Clippers can come up. And at the end of the first quarter, they're up like 35 to 20 mm-hmm. and they can kind of just, you know, ride that out the rest of the way and still a game one victory. So rest certainly is good, but I'd rather have the momentum. I'd rather have like, you know, the team that's hot where they're, the Clippers are probably thinking like, yeah, we want to play tomorrow. Like we want to keep this going. So yeah, I, I definitely think it benefits the Clippers. Um, being you know on on shorter rest than utah who's just been sitting at home relaxing doing hang with the family in utah <laughs> probably having practice where again the clippers have been in seven just insane close games which again i think is is going to help them yeah you know um we're going to see really soon because like you yeah, said there is there's soon. no rest it's series starts tomorrow on tuesday and like Blake said, every other day from there on out, so Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, and so on and so forth for however many games these two teams need. I'm really excited. I mean, I thought uh, Utah was going to be an easier matchup, honestly, for the Clippers than Phoenix, but yeah. we will see what happens. Um, yeah. I don't want to disrespect Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Hopefully they're all healthy for this series. Hopefully Serge Ibaka gets healthy because just full strength is just a better way to watch any team. And uh, I guess we gave our predictions. So anything else you want to leave us with, Blake? 
I was going to say the one thing, if Serge doesn't play, at least we get to see him with his drip on the sidelines with, he was rocking the bucket hat yesterday. That was fantastic. A few games ago, he was wearing like that gold robe jacket, mm-hmm. whatever that was. So yeah, no, it's hopefully a fun series. Hopefully everyone stays healthy because we've seen it so many times with the Clippers where, well, years and years past, there'd be an injury or two. Just if you're going to lose, lose healthy, don't have anything like that. And hopefully it's a fun competitive series. And hopefully uh, I don't have to uh, be writing my uh, end of season heartbreak post Uh I remember last year you said, "Oh, Blake, get the get the article writ, uh, queued up for when the Clippers advance to the <laughs> first conference like finals." This is just like good, you know, content planning. All right, I did not jinx right. anything. <laughs> yeah, with, with the jinxes of one of the uh, conference finals piece, and two with the uh, oh yeah, Doc Rivers is now one win away from advancing. <laughs> <Eyeing> red hour. <laughs> yeah. And then we just had to wait a nice six months or whatever to oh, man, the yeah. article. So. No, no pre-articles at Clips Nation because uh, we don't have a good track record with those. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I had totally forgotten about the Doc Rivers ties Red Auerbach pre-write. Um, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's a good idea to just go with the flow. Uh, yes. Yeah, so make sure that you all are subscribed to the Clips Nation podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Uh, make sure you're checking into all of our work at ClipsNation.com covering this series. We will probably be on Locker Room on Tuesday before the start of Game 1 to talk about anything going into that game. And yeah, get pumped. The Clippers are in the second round of the playoffs. Disaster was averted, and we live to see another day. Take care.